Welcome builders from Lakeland, Florida. This is the Build Your Success Leadership Podcast with your host, Brian Brogen. We're going to empower and equip you to build yourself and then build others. Now, let's build up with your host, Brian Brogen. Hello, welcome to the Build Your Success Podcast. Here at the Build Your Success Podcast, we like to build you so you can build others. We do that through our coaching, training, and our special events, but we also do that through the guests that we bring to this podcast. It's my pleasure to introduce you to David O. David O. learned to lead at an early age. He was raised by a single mother. David O. has over 20 years' experience in the corporate world, leading a variety of teams. This experience led David to start a leadership development company in 2022, and currently David is writing a book with a focus on how to transform teams. Welcome to the podcast today, David. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, it's great to have you here. And, you know, you and I became friends because we're both coach, trainers, and speakers on the John Maxwell team. So we have that JMT DNA going for us. That's right. But let me ask you the question we ask all of our guests. What does leadership and being a leader mean to David O? Yeah, I, uh, question of, of all time, right? Like, that's easy to talk about, I guess. So for me, leadership is about influence, you know, so it's not just a title or a position. Because of my own beliefs, I believe that leadership is a servant style. And if you do that well, it absolutely should be transformative. So in that way, I believe we have a chance to influence the people around us, whether we're a CEO, whether we sweep the floor, we have the chance to influence the people around us. And if we're intentional about that, I think that we can really, you know, change our own world. That's great, being intentional and influential, but also that transformation. That's one I don't hear often. I hear those other ones pretty frequently. You know, sure. we've got a lot of words here in leadership that go the same way. But you know that we began a book called Voices for Leadership yeah. because I've asked that question so many times, and we get a different response every time. I say everybody's got their own DNA on leadership, sure. and you bring your voice to the table. So you gave me the opportunity to look at your draft book. You got some draft outlines going. I took some notes from that. I want to ask you some questions around that. Sure. One of the thoughts you have is challenging and encouraging others. How important is it for you as a leader, and how do you encourage others to do that? Well, one is you've got to be willing to challenge people, right? If we're just sitting around a circle telling everyone how great they are, then we're not really helping each other, right? Uh, just like your parents when you were raised, they didn't just say, hey, you're doing awesome, Brian. Like they gave you constructive, critical feedback sometimes. So in a similar way, it's do you care enough about the people around you to be honest and, and to, to be vulnerable and to share information that could even hurt them? Um, in, that, in that vein, it's so important to build what I call the bridge of trust to, to work over that over time. So for you and I, as we get to know each other better and as we've continued to grow, then the closer that I know you, that stronger that bridge is going to be. I can send tougher messages over that bridge. So I've made the mistake in the past of sending heavy, weighty messages over a bridge that was not strong enough. And obviously that can really cause some problems in that relationship and actually hurt trust because they don't really know your intentions. But if you have a strong bridge of trust, then it's going to be able to carry those loads. So do I care enough about you and your success to, to communicate something that may make you not happy with me, even if it's temporarily. I think that's where true compassion comes in. And the second part, and I don't do this as often, but making sure you celebrate the wins and celebrate the good. Do, for me, it's got to be a structured process 
because otherwise that's that's not on my forefront. I'm always more critical. I'm always more how can we get better, and it's a secondary thought of wait. I need to recognize Brian. I need to recognize my kids. I need to recognize the people I work with. Wow, that's great. You know, you talked about challenging and encouraging with everything you said there. You, you mentioned our parents challenging us early on. Yeah. In fact, I like the words you use, critical feedback. My first event, I actually invited my mom to, <laughs> and I asked for constructive criticism. And at the end of the, the event, she said, you did a great job, Brian. However, you don't need to ask for constructive criticism anymore. You need to ask for constructive feedback. It's such a, it's such a you know, words are so important in the way True. we look at things because you know, we don't always want people to be critical of us. Right. Sometimes we want to say, hey, you did a good job. Sure. And so feedback can be both critical, but it can also be positive, and it's so important to get both. Yeah, I learned from a mentor of mine. He said, if you want to get feedback from people, and, and we were focused more on the critical part of it, but he said to ask people, hey, if you, uh, what are the two or three things that we do really, really awesome that you want to make sure we continue doing? And that question's good because we get information about things that, Hopefully we knew, but maybe we didn't know was important to the people in our organization. But after that is the real question that comes there. Well, if you could wave a magic wand, what are two or three things that you would fix? But again, that balance of letting people know it's a good thing and appropriate to recognize the good. Because if we're only focused on critical, one, it's negative. But uh, beyond that, we may drop a good thing that we've been doing without even knowing about it. So it's, it's a really good point. Yeah, and I, I had a conversation with a leader of a business one time, and we just tend to trend towards lessons learned being negative. Right. And some of the jobs that are losses or we're, you know, we're losing money on, and I come from the construction world, so we're talking about projects here that they're funded. And you may lose money on a job, and that's going to take everyone's focus. And I said, what about the jobs we made money on? Let's learn from them. Let's learn what we did well as well. Let's add that to the list. Sure. I, I love that concept, too, because – you're right. When things go sideways a little bit, people are very quick to say, hey, we need to talk about this. I'm a strong believer in doing like a postmortem on everything, whether it's an event, whether it's a year, a quarter, the good and the bad. What went well? And I ask those questions. What are two or three things we did well that we want to continue? And what are two or three things if we did this again that we would improve? Oftentimes, just slowing down for a few minutes to think about and to think through those things really intentionally and then having a structure when we do that similar thing again that we can incorporate our takeaways from that conversation. We hope you're enjoying today's podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Build Consulting Services. Are you ready to reduce workplace conflict, reduce employee turnover, and increase your productivity? If you're ready to put Brian to work for your company, give him a call at 863-800-9658 or email him at brianb at buildcs.net. Now, back to today's episode. You know, one of the things you share in the manuscript of your book is spontaneous change. You know, when you see something needs to be addressed, if you've had these conversations around challenging and encouraging and you discover something, it's time to make a change. Absolutely. And so, so how important is it to make this spontaneous change? Well, I think it's the most critical, uh, one of the most critical pieces, because oftentimes when you look at an organization, one of the things I do is I look at what's the time frame from the problem being identified to a solution being initiated. 
right? Normally, the larger an organization, the longer that will be because of bureaucracy and things like that. So what you want to do is really shrink that time down from a really long time to a really short time. And one of the things that may seem trivial or even even strange is uh, my first manager job. I took a department with 80 people with 13 different job functions. And I'd never done any of them. Morale was low. The results were low. And honestly, a lot of people had been placed in that department, either voluntarily or involuntarily, taking demotions, giving up thousands of dollars. So I knew on day one that change needed to happen, but obviously I wasn't going to come in and start slinging decisions, right? So for me, it's how can I communicate that change is going to happen right away? So as I was walking around in the, the first day that morning, I found uh, one person. Well, as I was talking to him, he was looking around. I'm like, what's going on? And he was looking for his trash can. So I guess somebody took his trash can, maybe slid it over to their desk, whatever it may be. So I said, hey, no, no problem. I could have very easily told him to email supply. But obviously, first day, I got to find a way to serve these people. I don't know what I'm doing yet. I can get a trash can. So I walked around to 80 people and asked them who needs a trash can. Came up with 20. Got uh, one of my favorite people from our cleaning department, Miss Rosa. And she came over behind me. I put the trash cans down. She put the bags in. But for me, it was shortening that time from seeing a problem, you know, see something, say something, and really more importantly, do something. So for me, not knowing enough about the department, sometimes we allow that to keep us not as involved. And in reality, if, if we pay attention, there are things all the time that we can do to help and serve those people around us. We just got to be actively looking for them. That is great. And, you know, sometimes I think we try to make leadership too difficult. Yeah, when, for sure. When, as you said, it's it's servant leadership. It's it's do what needs to be done. See what needs to be done and then do it. Absolutely. And, and uh, it, Taking out the trash on your own is the same thing. Somebody's waiting on the, the janitor to take out the trash. Well, if the team's filled the garbage can up, one of, one of us can take out the trash. It's okay. Yeah, it really, I don't know why, but we feel the need to put certain people on a pedestal could be the boss, it could be the difficult or the difficult person or the squeaky wheel, but ultimately no person is more important than the team. So when you take the focus off of the individuals and put it on the team, whether it's the team results, the team dynamics, then it's okay for a manager to grab trash cans or if the cleaning person hasn't picked up the trash yet to do that because no one's above another. But when you have that kind of credibility with your people, you don't have to take the trash out every day, but when they know you're willing to, when you ask them to be involved in something and do something that's a little bit outside of their scope or very different, then you get a very different response than if you just say, hey, I'm the manager. I'm going to sit in my, uh, my ivory tower and do manager things. It's like, no, you got to be out there. And, and they really, honestly, they have to see it because they have to see it, hear it, and believe it. And so even if you are a servant leader, do the people on the front lines know that? So that's obviously a lot tougher as you get higher up. And if you're over 1,000 people or 10,000 people, it's going to be tougher. But I would encourage any leader that has over a large organization with thousands of people, every week carve out time where your frontline people, the people that have customer contact, that they would see you lead. Because it's only, even if you're only doing that with 10 or 50 people at a time, but let them see you lead and let them see you serve. I love that. It's just great encouragement. I can't wait for your book to come out with these real ideas. This isn't theory. This is practical stuff people can use. But you do have something in here I, I just want to ask you about, you know, this crystal ball of plan for the unplanned. Sure. David, how can we know of, of something that's unplanned? How are we able to plan for that? I, I think it just starts with being honest. 
if we slow down and we think, you know, what's I've got four teenagers, so I, I live in that kind of chaos theory. But, but in a sense, if you really slow down and think, you know, how often do certain things happen? You know, people going to work may be late to work because they hit the train or they got a flat tire or, or they ran out of gas or needed to get gas. Most of those things we can kind of know are going to happen with a certain kind of frequency. So if we plan for those, then we can leave maybe 15 minutes earlier than we would otherwise and never have that problem where it's going to affect us at work. In a similar way, what are the things that we know are going to happen? We just don't know when they're going to happen. So if when I was in auto insurance and I was a claims manager or claims supervisor, we knew in a peninsula like Florida, we're going to have hurricanes, right? So we always had what we would call a cat or a catastrophe plan for when that would happen. So in a similar way, when you're managing, when I co-managed a call center with three other managers and we had 432 people, we knew statistically it may be a year or two, but we knew at some point those phone systems were going to go down. A server was going to go down and we would not be able to access our computers, but we would have people calling still into the phones. We knew there could be a problem, even though we had backup generators, and there might be a time where we wouldn't even have phone calls coming in because there's a problem. Knowing what's going to happen and what might happen in the next 10 years, what can you do to plan for that time? So why not have a training that's already canned that you've talked with your management team about, and they're like, hey, if the phones or when the phones go out, we're going to get everybody together and we're going to go through this training or we're going to pivot to help this department or whatever it may be. Know those things. And, and what I think most often we miss, it's, it's stuff we could see in the prior 10 years. So what I really love is, are we really taking an account of our history? Do we have any historians in corporate? I've never met one, but I'd really love to have that because most often these are things that have happened in the past and we just maybe didn't pay attention or put a process in place. And so inevitably they happen again. That's great stuff. And as I think about that, you know, early on in 2020 when we were facing COVID, something our sure. country and the world had never faced before. I mean, who knew when the world shut down? Absolutely. I mean, however, past generations have been through some crazy stuff, world wars, amazing, you know, bluebonic plagues. Yeah. As you alluded to, it may not be the exact same circumstance, but we know things are going to happen and we need to be prepared for when the inevitable happens. What are you going to do? If you can't do what you normally do, what can you do instead of that? I like the idea about doing training. You know, hey, sure. think about that. Take this unused time and do training. In fact, in the construction industry, we had a what I call a friendly competitor. And then every afternoons in Florida in the summer, it's going to rain. We know right. that. Oh, yeah. So they had something called train out instead of rain out. Oh, wow. And they were prepared awesome. to train their employees when, when instead of sending them home, it was a win-win for both. Sure. Additional training for employees for the company. And the employees didn't have to take off work and lose hours that are much needed Absolutely. for their family. So great way to be proactive there. So, uh, you know, hey, the whole crystal ball thing, it was kind of a joke. I was being facetious. Yeah. But honestly, we do have opportunities to plan for the inevitable. Yeah, COVID's an anomaly. I think we would all agree to that. But even still, uh, if you're in the military, they study past wars and they study strategies and situations people were in that were very different than what maybe we're in and and they learn from that. So I think in the same way, we should be students, hopefully of our own history, but hopefully we're looking at other companies as well. There's a lot to learn. And as you said, like the rainout, I worked in construction in college and I lost out on hours. And was there training that I could have had that would have made me more valuable to my employer? Absolutely in hindsight. So 
I'm probably going to give him a call and harass him about that after this. <laughs> that sounds good. Well, one other thing you write about in your book is is go to your team before they come to you. Absolutely. I like this thought. It's like get out there. I've heard of, you know, managed by walking around sure. these different theories. But if you get out there among the team, you're going to hear the problems instead of waiting for them to bring them to you. Let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah, and, and I mean, honestly, if you're if you're walking around and people aren't bringing problems to you, then that goes back to the bridge of trust. It's not there. It's broken. It's damaged. you gotta you got to work on that. But oftentimes people say, well, I don't have time. And again, some of these people may have a thousand or more people reporting to them. I get it. It's a big deal. But it's it's the, the old adage. If they're you either go to them or they're going to come to you. And so the same thing, like if you don't have time to to work with your kids and help them on their homework or to help discipline or instruct them. OK, fine. Ignore them. Don't spend any time with them. But the storm's coming, right? So I, I think it's just being honest about that. The magic is is that if you go to people proactively, they they believe that you actually care. And and we do care, right? Like, I know you care, and I know I, I care, and I, I believe our most of our listeners, they care. So it's, why wouldn't you do, why wouldn't you show them that? And then when you care, now you're dealing with a problem, one, proactively, but in a very different tone of them having to maybe complain to HR or maybe they, they, they've even done worse. They don't tell anyone in, in the organization, but they just complain and they're bitter at their desk or in their job every day. And it's like a cancer. So I, I absolutely believe if you don't carve that time proactively, then it's going to come to you. So why not do it honestly when it's convenient for, for you? So for me, it, it was just 15 minutes walking around first thing in the morning. I used to walk around at 8 o'clock. I, I got to work before 8 o'clock. Used to work around, walk around at eight, but then I, because I'm OCD about what time people come to work, if I saw somebody come to work at eight o three or eight o five, it bugged me, so I moved it back to eight fifteen. By then, everybody should be there. If they're a few minutes late, that's for their supervisor to deal with, you know, not me. But ultimately, walking around for fifteen minutes, it really helped me to understand uh, how things were going. And at one point, I measured success. It was a Christmas time, and I wanted to give everybody handwritten notes. There's 80 people in this department. That's a dumb idea, by the way. But uh, it's a really big impact, but my hand hurt for a long time. But I, I got home, and I was going to write the cards. My kids were going to stuff the envelopes, and I forgot the roster. So my kids are like, well, I guess we can't do it tonight. And I said, no, I'm going to walk around in my department in my head, and I'm going to name all 80 associates. And it really was a, a really awesome thing that I was proud of that because I'd done that every morning. I had to check a couple spellings of names, but beyond that, I knew everyone's name. But in reality, that just means you know who they are. That doesn't mean they know who you are. And more importantly, that doesn't mean they trust you. So when you are, when I was in another department with 400 plus associates and there was a lot of internal movement, there was no way to keep track of that. So another way I measure it is, how often do people say, hey, David, do you have a minute? I want to talk to you about an idea. Or, hey, do you have a minute to talk privately because I've got a concern? If you're not getting stopped by the people under your umbrella over a longer period of time, then there's probably some work to be done on the trust side. Wow, that answer had about 40 minutes of content for, <laughs> for me to ask a ton of questions. But I'm going to start back where you first started. And, you know, people inherently, we want to help others. We, we sure. want to do what's right. I feel like that Absolutely. for the most part. I mean, 90% of people want to do what's right. you got a few people out there that want to beat the system. But, you know, what I found the biggest frustration for myself, and now that I've been coaching and training others, is 
when I want to do something well and I can't do it. That, that's just the biggest frustration. Either I hadn't been trained to do it, I don't have the tools to do it. Sure. So when we think about that, how can we empower our teams and equip them to do what's right? Well, how do we equip them to do be awesome, right? I, I feel like that is creating an environment where people can be awesome. If you're the leader, whether you're the CEO, the, the manager, director, whatever it is, but if you're the leader and the knowledge and the development kind of revolves around you, my turn, you know, that's a short time, that's a short term game. On the other hand, if you can create an environment where people help and encourage each other, can in your environment, is it normal for peers to challenge each other? You know, I know in construction, I got challenged every day, and I don't know how if it was constructive or not, um, but we certainly were able to challenge each other, but we knew we cared about each other too. And I've not met anyone in the construction world that you say, hey, there's a faster way we can get this done or an easier way. Holy cow, like that's that's what we want. So again, can you create that environment where people are brainstorming, they're helping each other, they're talking to each other, not because they don't, they oh, I don't want to bother Brian. It's like, hey, forget that. I want to talk to Joe or I want to talk to Sally because they do what I do and they may have a better answer for me than even Brian, you know. That's great, creating that opportunity for collaboration, sure. encouraging people to work together and get things done. That's all about this teamwork. Right. So you have launched a, a leadership development company. Right. It, where, what can we find out at davidoleadership.com? So David O. Leadership, it'll tell you a little bit about the types of services and how I, I do what I do, but ultimately I work with a leader to build an amazing team around them. So this is especially important if you aren't performing at the levels that you want, or maybe you're in a growth season and you're thinking about, hey, we're gonna, we may double or triple in a short amount of time. Are the, the immediate layer of leadership under me, are they prepared for that? So in that, I come around and come alongside the leader because I don't need to bond them to me. I want to bond the team to each other and that leader but to help that leader work themselves out of a job. And what I really love about it is I've been a boss before, um, and there's certain things you can say and certain things you can't say. As a outside consultant, quote unquote, uh, I get away with a lot of stuff I can say. So it gives me a chance to challenge both a leader individually um, and then also cha challenge some of the team members that the leaders entrusted me with and, and to be kind of a big brother in some ways to, to help them as well. Well, for our new listeners that are new to leadership, I can't leave that work themselves out of a job un untouched. So are they going to go to the unemployment line when they work themselves out of a job? No, of course not. So the, the great thing about that working yourself out of a job is to where the business doesn't revolve around you. And if the team, it's like, and it, you know, being a boss is not like being a parent, but there are some similarities. And so I've got four teenagers. My oldest is 18. If my oldest could not get up, dress himself, feed himself, drive himself to uh, Chick-fil-A where he's worked for the last two years, uh, we probably wouldn't rate ourselves high on the parenting scale, right? But it is, it, it's hard because I know he's growing up and I know he's ready to leave even though he's staying home for, for college. Um, but I'm so proud of him that he's, he's doing things on his own and he's developed and grown into his own person. If you get that kind of growth with the individuals on your team and they're growing beyond what was in your head or what was in your scope of expertise, then it really is a win-win. The benefit is, is that if you don't leave the company, and I hope you don't, 
right? But now you're allowed to insert yourself on where you are strongest or where things that energize you. So maybe you're like, I'm a questions guy, a why guy. I like to poke holes in things and brainstorm. So if your company can run without you, then as you involve yourself, you can focus it more on that. You know, if you're more tactical or more technical, then maybe you could focus yourself on making sure your quality is extremely high and getting in the weeds and the challenge of people that are over those. Hey, let's develop a world-class training to where everyone that touches any piece of work for our company does it better than anybody else. But at the end of it, if it revolves around you, it's, it's not good long-term and it's the old uh, school bus or the old bus uh, adage of what happens, you know, what happens to your business, God forbid, if one of the leaders, you know, got run over by a bus and died today. And there are too many people that are relying on us, not only for development, but literally to take care of their families. And what a tragedy would it be for an awesome, successful company to have a tragedy and lose one of their leaders and actually end up having to lay off people long term because the business wasn't ready for it. Wow. We can't leave on that note, though, so we got to do one more question. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have actually run out of time, okay. so we've, we've got to end here. Good deal. But, hey, anybody who wants to find out more about you, they can go to davidoleadership.com. Absolutely. Be looking for this book. I'm sure you'll have it on the website when you when you have it published in a few months. Yep. And uh, reach out to David. He's going to be there to help you. Also, we'd like for you to visit our website, buildcs.net, where you can see what we do. Shoot me an email, brianb at buildcs.net, or give me a phone call. 863-800-9658. Thanks for listening to the podcast day. Remember to build yourself and then build others. Want to learn how to build yourself and build your team? Visit www.buildcs.net and learn about Brian's programs, special offers, and more. Build yourself and then build others.